Welcome to 45 Forward, the beginning of the rest of your life. Each week, host Ron Ruel and his guests discuss topics of interest to many listeners in their 40s and beyond, including retirement, caring for aging parents, health, lifestyle, and more. It's time to think ahead to the next half of your life, and we'll help you plan it with ease. Now, here is Ron Roel. Welcome, everyone, to another edition of 45 Forward, where our mission is to help you, our listeners, from Los Angeles to Long Island, age successfully, making your second half of life even better than the first. As we prepare to celebrate Veterans Day this week, today's episode features veteran Jim Smith, who served as an Army correspondent for Stars and Stripes, the Defense Department's daily newspaper, during the Vietnam War, reporting from every major city in Vietnam, from the Delta to the demilitarized zone. Whether he was observing training of the South Vietnamese troops by U.S. advisors, or watching massive U.S. firepower take out enemy targets, or reporting on efforts to repel the North Vietnamese Easter Offensive, Jim was there to witness the events. He laughed at Bob Hope's jokes. He took cover during rocket attacks. He pulled guard duty at night in the jungle, got in trouble with the brass, and got caught up in the, adre- in the adrenaline rush of war. Today's conversation, Jim will draw on a number of these vignettes, which appear in his gritty 2015 memoir, Heroes to the End. He witnessed many acts of bravery and commitment, as well as the frustrations and incongruities of the Vietnam War, dozens of which were published in Stars and Stripes, and dozens that previously never made it into print. A dedicated journalist to the end, Jim will also discuss his long civilian career as a sports writer and editor for Long Island's daily newspaper, Newsday, covering the New York Giants, the New York Rangers, the New York Islanders. And coming full circle, Jim will reflect on his changing views on the Vietnam War and subsequent wars over the years, as well as his advocacy on behalf of social and racial justice concerns and his tireless support of the United Veterans Beacon House, which provides housing for hundreds of homeless veterans and their families at dozens of locations on Long Island. So now, folks, it's time to meet today's guest, Army veteran and activist Jim Smith. Jim, welcome to the show. Hi, Ron. Great to be here. Great great to have you, Jim. So, Jim, you have had a full and interesting life all the way through. But this being, you know, uh, Veterans Day week, I just wanted to start, of course, uh, with your military service and talk about that. You know, it was certainly impactful, um, you know, for me personally. You know, we're about the same era. And so Vietnam War was the war when I was in college and coming of age as a young man. So I, I want to start off by, you know, acknowledging especially, Jim, because this was this was a difficult war. And I think the veterans who served in it, like you, deserve, you know, particular notice, um, especially because I think we had a hard time with it and you had a hard time coming home. So I just want to first, you know, once again, you know, thank you for your service, Jim. Well, thank you. And, uh, you know, I had three lost years uh, after my service, which included a DWI conviction and uh, uh, reckless behavior. And Mm -hmm. uh, I think that um, gives me empathy for the clients uh, at United Veterans Beacon House, where we run uh, 49 shelters for homeless uh, veterans and others on Long Island. And uh, I've been on the board there for almost 10 years. Right, right. Yeah, so we'll get we'll talk a little bit more about that later on, Jim. But so just just give us a sense, though. I mean, so you wrote Heroes to the End um, uh, in 2015. So that was a, a good 
distance from your actual service. Um, but I'm sure it gave you some yes. perspective. Uh, and uh, it must have been interesting reading back on the the, uh, the stories of a 23-year-old. Yes. And, um, you know, uh, my notebooks from 1972 had uh, red grease pencil notations that said, for the book. Huh. So, um, you know, in the 1990s, uh, when my job changed that Newsday to ed- editor, I actually uh, did, um, I wrote a lot of chapters for mm-hmm. the book. Uh, and thank God I got the information down because by the time I retired from Newsday on uh, December 31 of 2014, I had actually forgotten some of the material, uh, but I had both my notebooks and the 1999 version of um, book chapters. So I spent, you know, four or five months then in 2015 uh, rewriting and reorganizing uh, the material and adding some other stuff and uh, I was able to produce uh, a book that I'm very proud of. Yeah, it, it you know, it, it's, you know, I described it as gritty. It is. It's full of detail. I, I was reading it going, well, this is Jim the journalist. And yes, you wrote it down then, but it's, you know, it's full of detail. And um, you know, so I wanted to ask if you can share some of the stories. I mean, some of them certainly, uh, you know, there, there are some interesting characters. And, um, you know, some of them, I think you mentioned a guy named... Um, and John Paul Van was one of them. Uh, people who were complicated. Yes, well, <laughs> well, he uh, was the subject of Neil Sheehan's uh, book, uh, A Bright Shining Lie. And, um, you know, his career uh, traversed the whole uh, length uh, of the war, you know, from 1961 to um, 1972 when he was killed in June of 72 in a helicopter crash. So Mm. he was the closest thing to a true hero that that war had. And plus he was witty, uh, insightful, and knowledgeable, and really cared about the Vietnamese. And in fact, he died um, flying to spend the night in a village with a province chief. Yeah, they, you know, it's um, they're true heroes. And I think that, um, as you point out in several points of the book, it wasn't easy to be a true hero. Um, it was a, a complex emotional war. Um, I think, you know, un- unfortunately, I think of the stereotypes we have or, you know, come out like, uh, you know, Apocalypse Now and Rambo sort of, you know, uh, basically popularized in, in the media. And I think sensationalized, you know, I mean, on looking at drugs and, you know, and sort of, uh, you know, kind of, well, I mean, you, you had a clash of, you know, you had, you know, we were coming out of the 60s revolution and, and you were in a, in a war that, um, you know, uh, was culturally um, controversial, you know, um, and yeah, politically and, controversial. Uh, yeah, the, we've always had to fight the stereotype of deranged Vietnam vet. And uh, mm-hmm. 
some of us actually uh, perpetuated that stereotype. I, I remember <laughs> in the mid-70s going to a Halloween party uh, as deranged Vietnam vet uh, <laughs> in, in blackface with a headband. And I was wearing my uh, jacket uh, that has a skull on the back with a uh, dagger through the skull. And it says, when I die, bury me face down so the world can kiss my ass. Wow. Wow. Well, I think that, you know, it, that, that was the first recognition, uh, maybe you can correct me, but uh, of the true nature of PTSD. I mean, I think that, you know, I'm sure that there are plenty of, of, I guess, mostly young men who came out of World War II, you know, in the Korean War, um, uh, like that. But I mean, I, it, it, you know, <laughs> war is a tough thing, you know, and it's it basically is yeah, traumatic. Yeah, well, um, you know, in my case, it was actually uh, survivor's guilt uh, mm -hmm. that I had to deal with because, you know, I was saying to myself, um, here am I. I never fire, fired a shot. Uh, and, you know, uh, flew around in choppers all over the country, and they were never hit by ground fire. And, you know, why was I so damn lucky? And six guys that I knew and, and wrote about, you know, were killed. So mm -hmm. um, it took me a while uh, to build up myself. Uh, esteem and, and be proud of my service. I actually left my fatigues and my dress uniform in a closet for 45 years, and I didn't mm -hmm. join a VFW uh, until uh, four or five years ago. Mm -hmm. I was quickly named the adjutant because of my writing skills. Well, but I think that that <laughs> adjutant. Well, I guess that describes us journalists, yes. But, but I think it also, you know, it as you point out in the book too. It, if if you are in fact a writer and you are a recorder of what you believe um, is the truth or is is a fair reportage of what you see, it's also difficult. I mean, because now you're caught. You know, you're serving your country as a, as a, a military in, uh, person, and yet a lot of things that you see, you really can't report accurately. As you point out, a lot of it yes. you know, didn't make it in Stars and Stripes. Well, I got a, a letter uh, teletyped to me uh, early on from my editor um, who scrapped a story that I wrote on drug abuse um, you know, uh, p people assaulting each other, people uh, stealing from each other at a combat training center. And he he told me, um, this is not the kind of stories we're looking for. Uh, if you can't say anything good, don't say it at all. Uh, and he said, if I send this story to Tokyo, you're going to be slinging hash uh, as a cook in the, in the Mekong Delta. So it's your call. And, you know, basically I decided to go along, um, not to uh, lie, but to seek out positive stories and write them. And, you know, as it turned out, the positive stories were all around me. I found people that were being heroes right down to the 
very end of the war. Yeah, and that wasn't easy to do, as we could see with where it was going. But I think that that's um, I commend you for that. I mean, I think that there there are lots of ways that uh, I think that you know, if you're in the media, uh, as as we were, um, uh, I think it's easy to find um, you know so-called negative stories because they're all around you, and because that's sort of the way we collect news, um, you know, based upon conflict and trauma, you know, and uh, uh, yeah, basically um, uh, agitation and, you know, uh, you know, if, unfortunately, you know, sometimes, you know, when you're dealing with a, in a journalistic perspective, you know, the more people who die in an incident, the bigger the story. So it's hard. So I, I think that yep. was, you know, I, I appreciate that you did that. And I think it's, it's also, it's, it is a sort of a conundrum, right? Because, you know, you sort of caught between being a journalist and I guess I'm not sure the right word, but as a patriot, you, you know, you want to support your country, you, you know, and I think you did mention several times that one of the things in your book that, um, you know, you did, you know, uh, look at, at people who were heroes to the end and basically did their job. Talk about that a bit, about just, you know, the sense of service in that capacity. Yeah, well, uh, you know, Geddes McLaren uh, was a captain uh, who uh, had to chop her into the top of a fire base on a hill and uh, uh, remove the breech blocks from uh, artillery pieces uh, at a site where the South Vietnamese had been overrun. And, you know, this was in the dark days of the Easter offensive around um, May of uh, 72. Mm-hmm. And uh, all he had was a handgun, but uh, he got in and out. He did his job. Uh, and the uh, communists couldn't use uh, those guns to fire uh, on us and our friendlies. Wow. Yeah. Uh, you know, it's, you know, as I was reading your stories, Jim, it, you know, it, as I said, they were very detailed and, and very, uh, um, well, they're really, they sort of brought you there, you know, and they're sort of unvarnished on, you know, um, and, uh, you know, I, I think it really captures the, the emotional turmoil of being in a war. Um, uh, what was the toughest yeah, thing for you and- emotionally? Well, the toughest thing was um, being torn uh, between, you know, wanting to tell a story and feeling that, you know, in the process I was glorifying war, you know, which which I opposed. I mean, I, I came back and uh, my wife and I worshiped with the Quakers for six years. And I joined mm-hmm. Veterans for Peace and... Um, in 0203, I marched in Manhattan against uh, the impending uh, Iraq War, and mm-hmm. um, so. And as I said, I never had to fire around um, in Vietnam. So, uh, you know, that was the tough part. Um, you know, I wondered. I pulled guard duty many times uh, early in my tour for uh, drug addicts uh, who paid me. Thirty, forty dollars to uh, pull their uh, guard duty. I came home with forty-four hundred dollars and uh, plunked it down, and uh, bought a car for cash. And uh, mm. you know, but 
um, you know, while I was there, I was wondering uh, what would happen if I was in a firefight. Could I actually kill another human being? And uh, mm-hmm. I'm glad I never had to find out. Yeah, but it is tough. I mean, you're you're you know that's you're fighting for your life. You're you're fighting for your your country, and and I guess also that what comes up is what's often talked about is you're fighting for your comrades. You know, there is that certainly that that bond. Um, you know, the, the, yes, the folks and uh, you're with. you know, I can say that um, uh, I felt like every unit I visited was my unit, and mm-hmm. I was viewed as someone who could be trusted. And right. very often, I would hear of a, a story from an information officer uh, and be stunned to it. Uh, but then it turned out to be even better than um, the version that I was told. Yeah, Jim, let's ho- after just, I reported... Yeah, just hold on one second. Re- just hold, go ahead. Go ahead. I'm going to uh, hold that thought, though. OK, we're going to take a short break. OK, uh, but okay. there's much more to come with you. So just hold that thought and we'll be back, folks, with Vietnam veteran and former sports journalist Jim Smith. So don't go away. Much more to come. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. A brave heart is anyone with the courage to be of service to others. If you have that courage, then Brave Hearts Radio with Brian Reinbold is for you. Even if you aren't yet, you'll want to still tune in to get inspired, create your own story to share, and change your life for the better. Listen to the stories of service and courage shared by amazing guests and your input, too. Listen for Brave Hearts Radio, Mondays at 4 p.m. Eastern Time and 1 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Remember, doing good anywhere does good everywhere. Want to play the ponies and win? At Winning Ponies, we go inside and behind the scenes with the top jockeys, trainers, and handicappers. The Winning Ponies Radio Show with John Inglehart, racing's regular guy, is the perfect complement to the Winning Ponies handicapping website. Catch us live every Thursday at 8 p.m. Eastern, 5 p.m. Pacific on the Voice America Variety Channel. Win prizes just for calling in. You're listening to 45 Forward. To reach Ron Rowell or his guest on the program, Please send an email to ron.roel at gmail.com. That's ron.roel at gmail.com. Now back to 45 Forward. Welcome back, folks, where we're talking today with Army veteran Jim Smith, who was uh, an Army war correspondent during the Vietnam War. And before the break, Jim was just talking about how um, often uh, he got was able to report on stories that that normally as a regular civilian correspondent you wouldn't be able to get so what continue that story Jim, about how you can jump from story to story yeah well i i would be uh assigned uh to fly somewhere uh with a tip from an information officer and uh i would turn the puff piece um into something more meaningful by doing a little bit more reporting and uh, then uh, I was often steered to a nearby base uh, by someone that I interviewed for the story. So one thing led to another. And so 
in a way, I had an easier job than someone from the uh, New York Times or the Washington Post who would basically be viewed as the enemy and would be on their own, have to mm. develop their own sources. Right, right. Yeah, yeah. Now, one of the things that, that came through immediately was just, you know, in your descriptions, they were very um, graphic in, in terms of, you know, the physical toll of war and what it, the demands of fighting, the weight of the equipment and the conditions of combat. I think that that was, uh, talk about that a bit in terms of just, you know, yeah. never mind. the. the yeah, well, I, uh, I actually walk with an infantry unit uh, on a night patrol. And then, of course, um, I stumbled over somebody's foot in the middle of the night. And, you know, all of a sudden there were 10 weapons focused on me and, um, you know, I felt like a dope, uh, but I, I also felt after that night that I was being used the right way by the Army uh, as a reporter, because I don't think I would have made it in the field very long. Right, right. And they did yeah. have a, a hard job, uh, you know, and I spent a lot of time with the uh, helicopter pilots, you know, these young guys, many of them from the South in their early 20s, uh, mm -hmm. some of them West Pointers, some of them not. And, you know, they used to drink till one in the morning and uh, get up at five to uh, prepare the aircraft for a mission. And uh, I would jump in, you know, by six and... Um, I don't know how they did it uh, day after day. Yeah, yeah. You know, and it's, it's uh, you know, that, that struck me. And then, of course, I guess there are similarities that are, that are often uh, made, between, you know, between the Vietnam War and between the wars in the Middle East and Iraq and Afghanistan in terms of, you know, it's, it was, I think, emotionally challenging or uh, to be working with you know, an indigenous army that, you know, I mean, I don't, you know, th there was a lot of cooperation, but I'm sure it wasn't easy um, in terms of communicating. Right. And yeah. And, um, you know, on April 29th of uh, 1975, I had what amounted to uh, a mini nervous breakdown. You know, I, I locked my mother, <laughs> mm. I locked myself in my mother's bathroom. And um, I was bleeding out of my nose and my mouth, and I was banging on the wall, um, hmm. crying uh, and saying, because that was, uh, you know, I had just seen the, the horrible film of the helicopters being pushed off the aircraft carriers. And, you know, the NVA just rolled up the South Vietnamese um, two and a half years after the last American uh troop was out and uh you know i was just saying 58,000 dead you know for what and um you know the other day i uh as a you know semi clinician i went on a symposium uh with uh, 30 other providers um given by the mental health association of nassau county and, of course, uh, veterans who served in Afghanistan are feeling the same way that I did um, in 75 because they have uh, thoughts about being a loser, um, you know, about the futility of war, about comrades who died for nothing. 
and in some cases, some have uh, committed suicide as a result. Mm. So clinicians are very attuned uh, to these thoughts. And, uh, you know, there are all kinds of alternative therapies uh, being used right now, like uh, yoga, horseback riding, um, the writing of uh, your story, and then crumpling it up and throwing it into a fire, or, uh, symbolically, you know, mm-hmm. leaving it there. So um, meditation, uh, you yeah. know, so, uh, yeah, a different war, but um, the same uh, thoughts, you know, moral injury. You know, did I see something that violated my own code and did nothing about it? Or did I commit something that violated my own code? You know, mm-hmm. I, I was in a uh, group therapy a few years ago where one of the guys um, could not forget the fact that he was a tunnel rat in Kuchi and jumped into a, a tunnel with only a flashlight and a handgun. And he saw a muzzle flash and uh, quickly turned and fired. And then when he put the light on the casualty, uh, it turned out to be a female Viet Cong uh, soldier with a baby on her back, and the bullet wow. passed through both of them. Wow. So here this guy was a literal baby killer. And right. uh, no matter what we said in the group therapy, he he could not absolve himself. Yeah. Well, these are very tough things, and uh, you know, I appreciate that you're open to sharing them. I, I think that I just need to say for myself, and I'm sure lots of others, Jim, that one thing that I think did come out of the Vietnam War domestically over the years, and of course, it was tough coming back for you guys because I think that people were, you know, conflating your service with what they felt was, you know, the 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 service of our leadership that was basically leading us astray, you know, giving us not quite accurate information about the status of the war. Um, and also, the, the, as you discovered, as when you're trying to be a journalist, realizing that sometimes what we were, uh, was reported to the American people was not what was happening in, on, in Vietnam and really couldn't report that. But, but I think one needs to separate the two uh, strongly and basically acknowledge the service of the people like you and many others who were there who survived and died. And, um, yeah, you know, well, I, um, I'm a member at the Unitarian Universalist Congregation at Shelter Rock in Manhattan, and right, New York, we paid yeah. mm-hmm. for the publication of the Pentagon Papers in the 70s in mm-hmm. book form, and um, I never revealed my service. Uh, in the first 17 years of membership because I thought I would be ostracized. And one day I just decided to dress in black and sit at a table and um, announce that I was raising money for Beacon House for the homeless mm-hmm. vet. Mm-hmm. And um, in like seven weeks, I, I made $700 cash and four truckloads, uh, four carloads of uh, donated clothes. So I always say that my congregation was smart enough to be anti-war and pro-veteran at the same time. Yeah. 
Yeah, I think that's important. I think no matter what you think of war, sometimes, you know, we, we get involved and it's they're unclear as to what we do and what what comes out of it. But I think one can, you know, one should never target the vets. I mean, you're serving the country. So I think, Jim, in that sense, there has been, uh, you know, an evolution from the Vietnam War to the, the the wars in the Middle East, where I don't think the vets the vets come back home to uh, to criticism, you know, and you know, uh, and name calling, insulting, realizing that they, whatever you think of the war, you know, you're you're serving your country, and I think that you know, I think there's a lot to be said about national service, and I, I know that what we'll get to this, um, you know, uh, probably later in, in our segment, but about how you translate, you know, service from a military perspective to to other kinds of service, national service. And I think that, you know, people are, whatever you think, people are fighting for their country. You know, there may be misguided directives and policies, but, you know, you're there, you're, you're, your life is on the line for your country. And I think people you know, need to acknowledge that, you know, that's, you know, I'm, and I'm glad that, you know, there is a Veterans Day, uh, but I think that you, you probably experienced this as well, that one of the issues is that, you know, it's a big difference from World War II, where basically, you know, the whole country was mobilized in the military, and now we have, you know, professional military, and but it's a relatively very small part of the population, so there's not that shared experience. Yes. And, um, you know, the public has come full circle in terms of uh, supporting veterans. And you feel it when you speak in a sixth grade classroom in Port Washington, New York, and the kids are basically in and they sit there and listen. And you know, somebody like me made it back uh, with all my limbs intact and my mind intact. And, um, you know, there's an American Heroes Club of kids at Port Washington. They raise funds every year and give it to us. Uh, you know, we're having a renovation of our post in Port Washington, and every every dollar helps. So uh, we have a um, a parade on uh, Veterans Day and uh, or Memorial Day, and uh, a service at a band sale on. Uh, Veterans Day, and um, you know, uh, I'm in Florida now, but I'm sure on uh, November 11th there's going to be 200 people at the band show um, saluting the flag. Right. Well, as they should. I mean, you should acknowledge your service. I mean, it's and it's an interesting thing. This, uh, I'm sure you're thinking back. You know that you know half a life more than 40 years ago when you you were a young man doing this but i you know i noticed and, and then we'll i'm going to shift gears a little bit here but just and the at the end of your book in your appendix you have excerpts from your letters home mostly to your to your mother um and and, uh, and thankfully your mother saved them i guess she, she knew you were a journalist but there was, yeah i just want to read two lines actually there, there are many letters interesting stuff but one you wrote that you said this is one line, this is perhaps the biggest test of character I will ever undergo. And the other one, um, you know, several months later is, I feel like I've always been here, you know? I mean, I won't ever be the, I won't ever be the same when I come home. 
And I think that's those two sentiments, I think, uh, summarize a lot of, uh, well, you tell me, you know, it seems to me that well, that's... Well, you know, I, I flip-flop back and forth. Uh, you know, when Nixon mined Haiphong Harbor, I actually mm-hmm. raised my rifle over my head in, in a Jeep when I heard the news in May of 72. And, um, you know, I, I, I was happy that Tricky Dick um, did something uh, yeah. to help protect us, uh, to prevent um, supplies from getting out of there and getting down to the south. Uh, so, you know, I would say that uh, I did get caught up in the adrenaline rush and the fact that um, the South Vietnamese defeated the NBA um, invasion in 72. But mm-hmm. um, the, the reason for that was U.S. air power, and that power was not there in 75 because um, Congress pulled the plug on the Vietnam War, and without air support, uh, South Vietnamese uh, crumbled. And right. the um, NBA and Viet Cong used the same strategy in 75 uh, as they did in 72. They attacked Quang uh, Tri. Uh, Ban Matuit, Play Coup area, and also um, from the west of Saigon toward the capital itself. And instead of uh, being pulverized by American air, um, in this situation, the South Vietnamese took off their uniforms and fled. Yeah, wow, wow. Well, just just ending on a on a perhaps a little lighter note, and then we'll shift to your coming back to America. But um, so w- you you were you still got the uh, the Bob Hope show, right? He was still doing yeah. that at the yeah yeah. So that was well, sort of I had a, a laugh. Be- <laughs> I had a laugh because Martha Ray made some remark about those NBA couldn't shine your boots or something. And we were all sitting there laughing because we respected the NBA and we thought they were damn good troops, you know. So she didn't know what the hell she was talking about. Right. The NBA, just, what does that stand for again, just tell, for our listeners? Uh, North Vietnamese Army. Right, right, yeah. She was saying yeah, they, they could shine you boots. We were right. saying they sure could. <laughs> <laughs> they're, they're giving us an ass kicking you. I'm trying our best to hold them off. And, you right. know, eventually we did, but, you know, not without casualties. Right, yeah. But, you know, the BGPQ strikes just uh, were devastating. I mean, I was sitting in a pool with a drink with a umbrella in it, and the ground shook that the strike was so close to our uh, safe American compound. Uh, right. And 10,000 NBA dead uh, littered the battlefield uh, two wow. miles of Contum City in the Highlands. Right, right, right. Wow, that's tough. Well, you know, I guess there were these, There, you know, it's, it's again, it was, um, you know, I think obviously you get sort of, um, you know, a sanitized version of it through looking at, you know, programs like MASH, right? That was very popular. It turned, it tries to turn, you know, uh, a, a comic sort of satiric um, uh, but sometimes cynical view of war with with humor 
but uh you know it, it was tough i guess uh there weren't many bob hope moments but um no I hope, uh, and no. you know uh, one information officer i knew requested duty in the field mm-hmm. and then uh, had his head blown off by it and uh you oh. know I went to the wall and I made a rubbing of, of his name, you know, Captain Ivy. And, mm-hmm. uh, you know, I remember banging on that wall and saying, you stupid bastard, man, why didn't you stay in that air-conditioned trailer in Benoit? You right. know, but he wanted to get his ticket punched uh, as a combat troop uh, so we could get a promotion. Wow. And, uh, you know, he bought the farm. Wow. Wow. Well, that's a shame. Well, let me just say, well, we're going to continue after the break, but before, before we do that, I just want to mention, um, folks, if you want to, um, uh, learn a little bit more about Jim, you can, you can go to, um, uh, my website, uh, roelresources.com, R-O-E-L resources.com. And you click on my 45 forward tab. You can get a little bit more background on Jim and you can also see, a. uh, uh, it's a picture that's actually from his book, um, where Army Specialist Fourth Class Jim Smith, you know, between his chopper fights, uh, flights uh, reporting for Stars and Stripes, um, you can see him in front of his helicopter. So uh, you can you know get a, a look at that uh, on my site. Um, and uh, uh, so now we're going to shift a little bit, Jim, um, uh, to just you know coming back into civilian life in America and. Uh, and just now shifting to your um, civilian journalism job uh, covering uh, sports, which I think is kind of interesting that um, you're, uh, you know, again, it's sort of uh, people in, in <laughs> not mortal combat, in combat, um, but uh, so you covered the Giants uh, and the Islanders and the Rangers and covered um, um, Super Bowls and Stanley Cup finals. So, Jim, we're going to talk about that, but we're going to wait and just take a keep our uh, listeners waiting for you. I'm going to take a quick break and we'll be right back. So don't go away, folks. Get the news on our shows and other happenings by following us on Twitter. Find us at Voice America TRN or twitter.com forward slash Voice America TRN. Do you want to hear a show about football? How about football moms? What if we told you that was just a start? Tune in for Double Down with Garrett and Mack. Audrey Garrett and Jeracy Mack are moms to some well-known NFL players. Sure, they'll talk football and raising their kids to achieve greatness, but they'll also talk about community and world issues, motherhood, news, and lifestyle topics. Listen in every Monday at 5 p.m. Eastern Time, 2 p.m. Pacific Time, on the Voice America Variety Channel. Have you checked out Teen Wealth Radio? It's a show for teens, their parents, and educators. Hosted by Brandy England, along with regular weekly contributors, Teen Wealth Radio will cover the topics that teens need to talk about. Plus, we discuss a book of the week and a movie of the week, and each show will offer a challenge to our teen listeners that they can share on our private Facebook group page. Be sure to tune in to Teen Wealth Radio, live every Thursday at 8 p.m. Eastern Time, 5 p.m. Pacific, on Voice America Variety. You're listening to 45 Forward. To reach Ron Rowell or his guest on the program, 
please send an email to ron.roel at gmail.com. That's ron.roel at gmail.com. Now back to 45 Forward. Welcome back, folks. We're talking uh, with uh, veteran Jim Smith, um, who was in Vietnam as a, an Army correspondent. But now we're going to shift to Jim's shift back to his, because uh, before he was in the war, he was also working as a journalist. And then he came back and continued working as a sports journalist, um, mainly for Newsday on Long Island. But he, he had a wide range of coverage. So talk about that, Jim, from, from football to hockey. Yes. Um, well, I before I went in the Army, I uh, spent four years as a part-time and then full-time reporter uh, on the high schools at Newsday. Mm-hmm. Um, when I got out of the Army in 73, the paper was obligated to take me back, but um, I, there were no openings in sports. So I had to work like 27 months uh, on the news side, uh, writing tighter, you know, covering uh, zoning hearings and, uh, mm-hmm. you know, writing obits and um, a couple of features, not many. But it was like taking castor oil, and it turned out to be good for me. Mm-hmm. Um you know, from 75 to 79, I covered um, Long Island colleges and the Cosmos soccer team, including uh, a game at Giant Stadium through uh, 78,000 people plays uh, final game. Um, and then six years covering the Giants, five Super Bowls, uh, a lot of freelance work. Uh, for the sporting news, uh, the hockey news, uh, wrote a book on Harry Carson called Point of Attack in 1986, uh, and then times. put in 13 years uh, covering the Islanders and Rangers off and on, um, and uh, writing a weekly column for the hockey news. Um, mm-hmm. So in 99, I was uh, age 51, and they decided uh, my writing career was over, and I was now an editor uh, mm-hmm. on the features desk, and I did that right. for 15 years. And right. they helped me make the transition uh, by sending me to uh, Chapel Hill uh, University in North Carolina to a mm-hmm. mid-career copy editor's course uh, that bolstered my self-esteem and uh, enabled me to uh, make that transition. Yeah. And, you know, during that period, I wrote articles for youth as my boss for the Act Two section mm-hmm. on people that were, I had a column called Giving Back. Right. And uh, that led to uh, other, you know, social justice work. Right. Yeah, I think that, uh, you know, that's, you know, we, we think about careers as working toward one thing and then retiring, but I think there are just many transitions during the course of a career and, and you're, you know, a reflection of that. And I think that, um, um, you know, you, you have to make adjustments and I don't think it's interesting when people talk about the news media today, I don't think people really understand just kind of describing the process that you went through, uh, of, of how you progress in journalism. You know, I think today we're, yes. We're well, so, go um, ahead, Jim. you know, I taught ethics in journalism at Hofstra for a year as an adjunct. And I told the kids, uh, you need flexibility. I mean, I had seven jobs uh, in those 48 years. And, uh, you know, I 
I took pride in four shows. Yeah, I, I think that, um, you know, it's uh, it's craft. It's a discipline. You know, you have to go through and, and, and you know, pay your dues. I think that, unfortunately, today, I think we're so inundated with, um, you know, social, social media and uh, news coverage that is not traditional journalism. Um, and that, um, you know, we, we, uh, we don't really know what it's like to go through that, you know, and uh, in, a, in, a, in a few weeks, actually, I'm going to have um, uh, one of our old editors and managing editors that you and I work for just to Howard Schneider, who was the founding dean of the um, Stony Brook School of Journalism. And he, I'm going to have a conversation with him just about his long career, but just uh, more specifically about, you know, what is news today? And, and, um, and, and I think that, you know, if you go through this sort of experience, um, it's not the same, obviously, as military experience, but there's a discipline involved. And I think you probably saw that not only in your own career, but, but covering sports, you know, again, I think there's. Yeah. yeah. Well, I have a recurring nightmare that I'm in a stadium and I can't find the locker room. Huh. And then I have another one where uh, my computer won't work on deadline. And, uh, of course, I never failed to get in a locker room, and I never missed a deadline. So I guess that's my worst nightmare. Yeah, I think that um, that's sort of a, another version of, I think, the uh, the college nightmares that I would have about, right? Showing up for a final exam for a course I'd never attended a class to. <laughs> and somehow right. I had to, had, to, uh, had to figure out what I was going to do, so... But if uh, I may, Ron, I'd, I'd yeah. just like to talk about um, my anti-racism work. Um, sure. You know, in, in 2015, I visited the uh, Michael Brown shooting site in St. Louis mm-hmm. uh, with our beach uh, program, philanthropic arm of the church. And, uh, right. you know, it was a spark uh, for involvement. And I've uh, either run or toll run uh, upwards of 40 programs on uh, every social justice topic that you can name uh, over the last 27 years. But in the last six, I've uh, concentrated on uh, racial justice. Mm -hmm. Um, And uh, I'm on the board at uh, a Shiasset nonprofit, Erase Racism. Shiasset, New York, um, yeah. Mm -hmm. You know, we're preparing for a gala on November 17th at the Garden City Hotel. And the other group that I'm on the board of, Speaking House, just made 205,000 one night in donations at our virtual gala. Mm-hmm. So uh, we're happy that people are in a giving mood for veterans, and we hope they also want equity. Um, for black and brown people. Right. Well, I see this, Jim, as, a, you know, it, it's sort of a shift, but it's I do see it as sort of a continuation of your sense of service. So you've shifted, obviously, military service. It's, but I think that, you know, it's an important it's an important shift, but it's also a significant one in, in terms of the way you see the world. I mean, and um, I, I think that, um, you know, again, the, you know, what we were talking earlier about, you know, 
uh, military service, that, sort of broadening the notion of how to serve the country, how to serve and make a better community. And I think that that's something that you know, you know, you know, we mentioned earlier. You can't, you can't be in, not necessarily be in the military. You can't do some of the things you did early in your life, but there are things you can do, and and to make it make a difference. Yes, and uh, right now I'm trying to use my white privilege uh, to help others. And mm-hmm. my wife and I last night went to a meeting uh, of uh, black tenants. Um, to see how my church down here in Boca Raton, Florida, can uh, support them. Uh, mm-hmm. The housing authority down here just announced that they're going to be relocated and their development is going to be redeveloped. So naturally their fear is that it'll be gentrified and they'll be priced out of their homes. And where mm-hmm. are they going to go? So mm-hmm. it, you don't have to look far to see injustice. You know, there's also folks down here who are suffering asthma and cancer from the burning of sugar cane. And uh, my church donated $2,000 to their Stop the Burn efforts. Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. And it's environmental racism because when the wind blows toward the wealthy neighborhoods, the state agriculture department grants a permit to uh, will not grant the permit, but when the wind blows toward the poor neighborhoods, they grant the permit for the burning, and they don't mm-hmm. care about the consequences of what they call white snow down here falling uh, on people's cars and their clothes. Mm. Yeah, so just for So the, anyway, for... Um, I, I'm involved in more than just around uh, a golf course these days. I'm sorry, what was that about the golf course? Say that again. Uh, I'm involved in um, what I consider more meaningful things oh, than making right. sure a white ball goes into a hole <laughs> Right, right. on the golf course. Right, right. Yeah, I mean, that's there's nothing wrong with some of that, but I think that certainly, you know, you have to... You know, I think to be, live vitally, you know, and especially in the second half of life, you need to, to to come up with new passions and new purposes in life. And I think that sometimes what happens is we finish our regular job, you know, a regular career, and we sort of cast around for something. And, and I think, you know, you've really uh, taken the bull by the horn, so to speak, to really um, to make a, a significant contribution in life. And, uh, you know, I think that... Um, uh, these are, are really important contributions, Jim. And I think that, uh, again, I do see it. Uh, I know this is sort of veterans week, but I do see this as part of service to our country, even if it's on a small basis in our community. I think that we all have an obligation to see what we can do to improve our community. I mean, that's to me, part of being a patriot is recognizing that we're all part of this country. And there are obviously disagreements about how to do things, but the fact that we're committed to do these sorts of things. Um, so any, what's, what's next and what, you know, are you, you going to have anything else on the horizon or are you thinking about this is uh, just continuing? Well, it, it, it's racial justice, uh, both in mm-hmm. Boca Raton and uh, on Long Island. Now I decided, you know, I just turned 73 on Tuesday and um, I decided that I'm going to devote my, uh, the rest of my time to uh, trying to get rid of uh, structural racism any way mm-hmm. I can. Right. 
Right. Good. Good. Well, okay, Jim, we could, maybe we'll have you back to talk more at some later date about this chapter of your life. But I think certainly um, we've, uh, I've enjoyed having you on the show and, and talking about these various chapters. I think, you know, even for me, you know, the, the issue of racial justice seems to have, have roots in the military as well, in terms of, you know, you're all in there together, white, black, and brown. And, um, you know, it seems to me that that, that kind of uh, brotherhood and sisterhood can continue, you know, when you get back into civilian life. So um, I want to thank you again for your service, Jim, in your many capacities. Um, and uh, I think uh, we're, we're out of time today, but uh, there's, uh, uh, I just want to tell folks, um, first of all, Jim, what's the best way to reach you? Uh, well, you know, um, Smith, S-M-I-T-H, Jim, J-I-M, that, V-E-T, at gmail.com, you can get me in. You know, I'll give you the uh, website of Beacon House, www.uv, as in Victor, B as in boy, H.org. And the other one, www.eraseracismny.org. Okay, great. Okay. And of course, the beat can be ordered uh, online. Great. And I, I'm know. donating the proceeds from the book to Beacon House. Um, to date, I've raised 12500 for that nonprofit. Great. Okay. Well, thanks, Jim. So, folks, be sure to join me uh, next Monday, 12 noon Pacific or 3 p.m. Eastern. I'll be talking with Michael Pottinger and Robin Lombardo of Generation Connect, an entrepreneurial technology firm committed to improving the lives of people living with dementia and their caregivers. So until then, folks, keep moving forward, 45 forward. Thank you for tuning in to 45 Forward. Please join your host, Ron Roel, for another great show next Monday at 12 noon Pacific Time and 3 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. We wish you a great week.